Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Happy New Year, Brent. Happy New Year to you, Alan. All right, if you're going to type... Do it while you're not talking. Don't type and talk at the same time because normally when you type during the podcast, I can strip it out later. But if you're talking, I'll have to strip out your talking too. And in fact, I wonder if we should just do a podcast without you, what that would be like. I don't know if I would have enough things to say because you inspire me so much. Anyway, uh, as I was saying, Happy New Year and uh, try and try and make yeah. my editing job a little easier if you would, okay? Yeah, welcome to uh, twenty two one, everyone. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, we we had this discussion last time. Uh, I I want to talk about you know I'm not big into gifts in this time of year. In fact, we barely exchange any gifts at all. But I bought myself some presents. Uh, one thing similar to Microsoft. You know, Microsoft had a uh, what they call it. What's the budget that paid for your gym membership? You talk is, at Microsoft. What was that called? Had that's a name. A, that, that's now called a, a health wellness something like that okay. budget. We have a health wellness thing, but especially with the gyms all being closed, they got very lenient on what we're allowed to purchase with that allotment. Step counters or, or watches that do step counting are good. So I have a new, uh, you can see it in the oh uh, nice it, it, in the Zoom, uh, which only Brent can see, but it's a nice new Galaxy S3. I also picked up a set of the Galaxy Buds, which I really, which is the their version of the AirPods. I really, really like. I wear them all the time. A lot of fun. So I'm pretty happy there. Those were my presents. I think I bought some, I bought some shorts and stuff and. It was pretty cool. So that was my, my Christmas to myself or holiday, whatever flavor you wish to observe. Oh, oh, and before I forget, you're not, I'm just going to put words in your mouth the whole time. Remember when you said that Trump would win and America would burn? And I said, no, Biden will win and America will burn. And so uh, I, you were <laughs> half right and I was entirely right. Yeah, yeah. Um Yay, America. America, hell yeah. Uh, uh, since we're waxing political. Just briefly. Briefly. We want to I stop people from pressing that fast forward 30 seconds button too often. I will say that at this moment in time, I'm not a fan of Georgia. I think it is universally a bad thing in, in a world where there's a two-party system, where the one party has all of the power, I am fully confident that will change in two years. Multiple things to disagree with there. One <laughs> is we have a former president who is entirely at fault for losing all those things. If he wouldn't have been such a shithead... Perhaps that wouldn't have happened. Second of oh, all, to so do wait, anything. Wait, wait, to, to, wait, wait. Second remember, of all, remember, libertarian. Anytime you bash any of the parties, I'm going to wholly agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I know. Small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get that, but it's which again, being a libertarian, the two party system is is. I've got to watch my language here. Broken for you. Uh, I mean, oh, you yeah. can vote for your candidate, but you want you want more than anyone ranked choice voting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And unfortunately, even having I mean, Republicans do not want ranked choice voting. Look what it did to them in Georgia. Their candidates were ahead, but they had to have the runoff because they didn't get 50 percent and not exactly ranked choice, but, but a variant of it, their candidates were ahead and they had to have the runoff and their candidates got beat. Republicans do not want anything that remotely looks like ranked choice voting. Unfortunately, electoral college, anything to do with the Constitution, uh, voting, like ranked choice voting, is not going to happen with a mere 50% of the Senate. So nothing's changing despite having one party in charge of all three things. But, I mean, this is the way the system works. If one party 
craps all over the bed in Congress, in the Senate, in the House, and the presidency, of course they're going to lose all three of those. It's inevitable. What's going to happen as a result of it? Not a whole lot, unfortunately. I think uh, I do not go to the extremist, I'll just teasing you, of libertarianism. I never even considered myself a political party until I was called a libtard for believing everyone should be treated fairly, whatever. Every time a presidential election comes about and primaries come about, I take the little quiz uh, offered by so many sites that tells me which candidate I mostly align with. And that's who I align with until I know they have no chance of winning for whatever reasons. Uh, I don't care about identifying with a political party. But unfortunately, the last four years, I've been told by people on the Internet, of course, that I belong to a party only because I think things should be fair. So that bugs me. I don't care if you're libertarian, Democrat, communist, Republican, socialist, whatever. Uh, I just want to be able to vote for people who share the views of what I want to have happen to the environment I live in. Yeah, no, the issue... What party is that? The, the, it, the way you've defined it, um, it's unknowable. Because the dif- the, each party has their own definition of what is fair. Right. That's that's the issue from. So from my perspective, the the Democrat Party, uh, they define um, fairness sort of from an equivalency of experience. Yeah. And again, I don't want to go into this. I I am not I'm not like, yeah, Biden, he's going to be awesome. I'm I'm not in that camp. I'm in the camp of thank God the, the idiot is out of there. The senile, narcissistic, homophobic, racist idiot is out of the office, and we could have somebody... You, you forgot misogynistic. I, I didn't forget it. I was just <laughs> trying oh, to it. trying to get on from the topic, but... Got it. Yeah, I, I... Unfortunately, the painful part is I don't expect a big change. Uh, I do hope some things get better. That's the best I can hope for. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, anything. I got topics. I got like four topics written down in my notebook for us to fly through in an order. It, it, topics that we have briefly mentioned to each other, but not in an order you're expecting. So, uh, oh, or perhaps. And, um, but if you have other things you want to cover first before we get into the, the meat, and this is where we, uh, if you fast forwarded to here, we're almost ready to start. Go ahead. Right. Uh, the, the only thing I'll cover is um, hey, everyone, welcome to the, the, New Year, or the the first episode of the year, episode number 132. It is 132. And this is not an ad break, because we're not breaking anywhere. But one thing I'm happy went seamless, as far as I can tell, without screwing anybody up, is I migrated the podcast away from self-hosting on angryweasel.com. You can't tell. There's a 301 redirect that sends your RSS feed to anchor.fm where our podcast is now hosted. It makes some things a little bit easier for us. Uh, We'll talk about those throughout the year. One is, I guess the main one is uh, I don't end up overflowing my allotted disk space because Anchor will host it for free and they'll take care of all the stuff of propagating the podcast to whatever podcast site you'd like to download your podcast from. So all that's cool. In the longer term, if and when we do have advertising, uh, or if we do have a listener uh, sponsorship in any way, they'll take a little cut of that, which is why they do all that for free. But in the meantime, it's just free. We'll figure out all the rest as we go. As we mentioned in 131, AB testing is an LLC. Uh, I We collect any money I get from modern testing things related or Brent gets put it into our bank account that Brent doesn't have <laughs> access to. And we'll use that money for, we're pretty set on equipment for now, uh, but we can do, we'll, we'll spend, now that we don't have hosting costs, I guess we'll use that money for, again, for scholarships, for things that come up, things ways we can give back to the community. Uh, so that's my, not an, and my ad, not an ad, Anchor FM. Let's go ahead and get into the meat of the show. We should have like a theme that goes right here. And then when people want to fast forward to when we actually start talking about things they care about, they know to listen for that music. I have podcasts where I do that. So <laughs> what, I, I wrote down these one word hints on what I was going to talk to you about, but now I can't tell what they say. Give me a moment. 
So the first thing is, I can't remember if this was out when we did our last podcast or not, but I gave, did we talk about my talk at Testflix? Uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about, you were about to deliver it. Okay, well, it was, it was just a recording. Uh, the idea was, it's really cool. Uh a hundred or so eight-minute talks. I just didn't, so you could binge on short test talks. I gave one on teaching developers how to test, uh, awesome. based on uh, years of practice and experience. Nothing I'm making up. It's it's all practical knowledge. Uh, things I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's uh, I call it the caring, sharing, and pairing, or something like that. But uh, pairing with them, uh, learning to coach them, ask the right questions, teach them how to test. Uh, I posted on LinkedIn that. My talk is now available. Lots of positive reactions, positive comments, and I got a few comments worth talking about here. I don't know if I don't know if you're watching on Twitter for me to talk about this. So this may be all new for you. Did you observe any of this? Uh, no. So I saw a reference to it on the Slack channel. Oh yeah, yeah. I so what? Yeah. What happened was, uh, first off, someone jumped on and said. This talk would be a lot more effective if you talked about what testing is. And I thought, what? <laughs> and I... Oh, to me, I mean, that from a mile away is clickbait for the testing checking conversation, for and that's, sure. And that's where it went. <laughs> yeah, okay. And a couple people jumped all over it, and... They posted the link to the checking versus testing article, which I want to talk about in a little bit, and various other B and B articles. And I wasn't sure, like, I, I don't agree with these articles, but what relevance do they have? And what it came down to, and I finally dug through the game of twenty questions, was. There was a belief among these folks, and I know exactly where this comes from, but I want to get your opinion before we dive into it. Yeah. But the general belief was that if you think of, and again, I have to get, I have to start ahead here. It's not testing versus checking. Of course, we've known for decades that some testing is purely confirmatory and some testing is investigative. Big whoop. I get it, it, to me, that's basic knowledge. I don't understand the excitement and glee over this distinction. But the gist of the feedback was that developers, programmers of code, are more or less incapable of investigative testing. They can only do checking or verification testing. Sure. So before I dive into that and some of the reasons people believe that way and, and my reactions to that, uh, I'd like to leave that part for some feedback from my trusted colleague. That's you, Brett. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, we have a guest today. <laughs> um, so it's interesting you're asking me this question, you know, just coming out of the holidays. Um, uh, I've drained all of all uh, spent the last four weeks draining all of my hatred levels uh, and, and willingness to go into Hulk mode on stupidity. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it means I'm able to refill that battery in this particular case. I'm coming from a more empathetic place, right? It, it, the, the testing versus checking discussion, this is, I'm going to go, I'm going to do a drive a psychological answer. Right. The that conversation and the tenant that that devs are incapable of of doing this work. Right. That, that's where testing versus checking comes from. That, that that's that's the point of that conversation. It's not a semantic one. It's it's one built around cementing that separation of this work into a special specialized discipline is critical right and as as i'm sure your talk called out even in the face of data and evidence that shows the contrary 
which at this point in time, like this argument has been out for what, two decades, right? There is so much, it doesn't take any effort at all to find evidence on the internet to the contrary here. So to me, this is, this is testing versus checking is, is a belief system. It's a religion. It's not bounded in, in any sort of evidence-based um, system, structure. And it's, it's an EQ argument. It's essentially, I need people to hold this to be true because that's how I protect my identity. There you go. So I'm trying to find the right quote here, and I'll edit out my keystrokes uh, later. Yes, and yes, I think it really comes down to, I'll see if I can, I have a story in my head here I want to weave. I want to see if I can make it happen. The argument is a lot about those other people can't do my job, which is really, it's a flavor of my job is unique. I'm a specialist. We need specialists. I'm a snowflake specialist. My job's not going away. If it, if if these things aren't distinct, my job loses meaning. Right. Which comes back to, I in one of the discussions on Twitter, one of my, there's this one person that follows me on Twitter who every time he comes out, I know is going to go down one of these paths. And I forget what I was talking about. And he, his comment was, and I think he meant to push my buttons, but I don't really care. But he said, Alan, I'm sure you are an expert at some things, but you're not an expert at testing. And I said, I wouldn't claim myself to be an expert at anything. I do have, you know, I do have a lot of experience, but a lot of practical experience. And, and then later he, or in that same thread, he pointed out like, for example, I don't think what you're doing with modern testing is doing any favors for testing. I'm completely paraphrasing. I know he won't <laughs> listen to the podcast. And it reminded me, it reminded me that the modern testing principles, as we've said, aren't modern. They aren't about testing. But Brent and I began talking about modern testing not to invent something, not to talk about something new we wanted to see people do. It was not aspirational. It was talking about things that we were already seeing. Yes. And but so how one- can you be against the notions I have in pushing things away or we have with modern testing when modern testing is just, and which goes back to the whole, this ties together with the uh, please protect my job and differentiate checking versus testing. It's important for me because we started off talking about the podcast sex coming up on seven years ago because we wanted to talk about the changes that we were already seeing and give people some knowledge and mental tools and ideas to help navigate that change shoving your head under a rock for anything does not help the the thing that you're saying hey modern testing is not doing anything for testing We've we've had that conversation before. I don't recall. I like on most things on this topic, uh, I can have great confidence that we are at least ninety percent aligned. But when it comes to testing, I'll state my view up front. In no way, shape, or form am I trying to help testing. What I am trying to do is help. Uh, number first and foremost is help improve the state of quality in the world. Quality is, and and for the rest of my life, uh, going to be a important concern. I grew up in tests, but right. As, as Whitaker, one of my favorite snappy quotes is all of this testing is getting in the way of quality. hundred percent agreed. I have, very little interest in in any sort of thing of trying to protect testing. Okay, I am trying to grow and improve quality, and I am trying to grow and improve the lives of those folks in a pure testing role. 
and say, look, you don't have to follow us. You don't have to believe in these principles. Uh, but if there's anything we can ask you to do is look behind the curtain and observe what's there instead of what you believe is there. Uh, or as you put it, get your head out from underneath the rock because the world has changed. So that aside, and I can't find the quote, so I'm going to paraphrase it, but one of Bolton's articles, I thought it was the one on checking versus testing, but after a while, the articles all kind of read the same. But it makes uh, a point that I, I'm actually writing an article on this to re, to indirectly rebut this, passively aggressively rebut this. There's a point he makes um, that I think is the, the gist of the problem here. Paragraph in question reads something like, when I'm developing software or writing this article, as he says, I'm in a builder's mindset. When I'm deeply testing or when I'm deeply investigating software, I'm in a tester's mindset. And changing between these two mindsets is possible, but extremely difficult and and some, some other adjective. As I read that, I, it just didn't feel right. And it reminded me, I, like I was one of the first people to read Mindset when it came out. The idea that there is a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Yeah. And that took me back to, of course, Drucker came up with the term knowledge worker. But it reminded me, you know, Dan Pink is famous for Drive. But the book, bef I believe the one right before that called A Whole New World or something, it's about... It's really about the rise of knowledge workers in the industry. When I read that, I realized that all these arguments folks are making about, well, testing is very special because you have to think and learn at the same time. And uh, all these little things like that all described knowledge work. I realized, oh, software testing, software development, they're just knowledge work. And they require to be good at them. It requires a growth mindset. What... I believe has been confused in this in the definition of this article I just I discussed on checking versus testing is checking is a, a builder a builder and a tester are not separate mindsets they're separate skill sets and while they may require a mental shift I have seen enough and I'm talking about dozens if not hundreds of people who can pretty seamlessly shift between building and evaluating and investigating whatever it is they're doing at the same time, I, I honestly cannot count the number of people who can do that in a moment's notice without, a, without even a conscious shift. It takes practice, yeah. I know plenty of developers, and I've been there myself, where you get that tunnel vision, you stop thinking about how things are going to work, but it doesn't take much to knock me out of it. I'm not even near the, the best in doing this. So I sort of fundamentally disagree that it requires a huge effort to shift from a builder's mindset to a tester's mindset. I believe those are skill sets, and the, and the more fluent you are in each skill, the more fluid you can be in moving between them accurately. I'm curious what your take is on that. So I'm absolutely in agreement uh that uh, on on builder versus testing like in, in the in the analogy where he talks about his blog post right I, I think of it as you know writer versus editor okay and um and i think all the the myriad blog posts i've written or the docs i've done okay yeah um In any way, shape, or form, do I believe that I cannot, I cannot fulfill uh, the editor role in my own content? Uh, no, I absolutely can't. Does it benefit from an, an objective observer? You bet, right? Uh, so, for example, like uh, you've seen my blog posts. Uh, I am not known for my tersity, right? And... Um, if I had an editor, I'm fairly certain they're like, hey, this 15-page paragraph you've written, couldn't you express the same thing in three sentences? 
right? And it's that requires more effort. It does. It does. But if you hire an editor and that's sort of their job, right? They'll they'll provide that effort. However, if you don't care, like in the case of a blog post, uh, uh, I'm not, to the best of my ability, I'm not gaining or losing uh, readers. And, and actually gaining or losing readers aren't even a goal. The goal was get my ideas out on the internet, right? The there are people that I have observed that have a they have a preference to stay tightly focused. And if you ask them to change their focus, they can do it, but it's going to take them time because once they're in a deep focus, it's hard to move over. To me, I, that is a symptom of being more of a fixed mindset than a growth mindset. I so that part of it, I agree with you as well. But here I'm talking about something even deeper. It, it, it's essentially, so there are multiple ways to carve humanity off into, into polar opposites, right? And in this particular one, uh, I, I have found that there are two types of folks, obviously. Uh, ones that have a preference to see all the details and then, and then sort of build things up figure out, okay, I got all these details. What does that mean? Okay. The other ones, and here's where I think you and I align, Alan, is we're more top down. Hey, what's the goal? What's the goal we're trying to achieve? Okay. How do we break that down? And a lot of times our approach will lead, well, oh, we're missing a bunch of stuff. Now our, we then go, oh, that's a gap to fill. Let's get that funded, blah, blah, blah. And, and in this case, I'm not going to dispute that Mike has has a challenge flipping between these these mindsets or skill sets right uh if, and i think in both cases it starts being a mindset um and my point but, is i think probably a lot of people have a problem it's difficult to switch between those uh it is a learned skill and if you practice it again right. as with some of the growth mindset as you should do the more you do it the better you'll get at it it's it's not it's not a fixed, oh, this is always going to take 15 minutes for me to do too. And a lot of work. I need to just stay in my, in my niche. Yes. Uh, here I am reminded of um, one, one way I used to describe my two boys. Okay. And the, on, on certain topics, my oldest, he very much identifies with what he is. What he is today, and and there's an underpinning theme to him that that's what he will always be. Okay, and he would go, you can't tell me, you can't tell me that I can do this because I've never tried it before. So he pivoted on these new experiences. He pivoted pessimistically up front. My middle son pivots the other way. You can't tell me that I can't do this because I've never done it. Right. And so here I actually view that as probably more of a uh, of basically how your brain is is wired up front. If you're a if you're a pessimist and this is a hypothesis, if you're a pessimist, you may view um, that it's impossible. Whereas you and I go, we're, we're more on change agents. Right? Yeah, I, Pick, picking something up and going a whole new direction is something we do on a daily basis. Is it pessimism versus optimism, or just fixed mindset versus growth mindset? It might be. It might be fixed and and growth, right? It, 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 I think that actually more aligns with the story I was telling. Yeah, right? and it, I, I just don't like the idea that these arbitrary things are mindsets. I, I do believe the mindset is one where you're, and I believe all good knowledge workers are on the growth mindset side of things. It's difficult to be a knowledge worker if you're a fixed mindset. Uh, so, but the, the skill sets, the ability to shift gears uh, between different skill sets that you have, that is difficult, but it is a learned quality. And that's my point. Uh, yeah. But I do think, again, where you stand intrinsically up front uh, plays into it. Like one of my favorite Henry Ford quotes, 
is whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. Anyway, uh, I've, I've been working on an article for that. It's almost done. I thought about, uh, you know, I should do a blog post again, uh, longer tangents on that on what we do with moderntesting.org. Uh, but in the short term, I'm doing an article for a uh, test tool company. I said I did one for their website. And they said I could write an opinion piece. And I have this one. I have another one I'm working on that we'll talk about another time. Uh, I think maybe in 2021, I'll do a little bit more writing besides the Five for Fridays. I think I'll find a, a, a venue for that and get that going. I love the five for Friday, so don't drop that. Nope, I got one coming out today. I got some. I'm going to talk about my buds. Um, I got some other things in there too, which I'm sure I'll get to. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, and if you're on one of the three which costs exactly zero dollars to join, uh, maybe we should charge a dollar a year. No, people wouldn't join. It's free. Right. It will. It will always be free. Uh, I posted a little bit of information about. Uh, project delivery in my org and Brent's been busy and didn't get a chance to reply, but I just thought it was interesting and inspired some good, some good feedback, but I think you'll have a different kind of feedback because of course you've helped me on this stuff before, maybe about a year ago. Exactly. But as you all know, part of my job is managing delivery, uh, program management, figuring out, uh, keeping track of dependencies between projects of course, I have a team now to do this as my org has grown. But looking at delivery, uh, what I want to do is make sure that uh, and maybe we haven't talked about the way we do estimates in my org. Uh, estimates, of course, is predicting the future. So maybe I should start with that. Uh, one rule we have is only only the dev leads, only the dev team and the dev leads in particular can give uh, an estimate for a date. Product management isn't allowed to say, how does January 21st look? Or can you have this done by January 21st? They get absolutely no say in the date of our estimate. Is it absolutely no say? Absolutely no say. In the uh, one exception, if we have something like GDPR, where we have a deadline, uh, then they get a say. But 99.9% of the time, we avoid using the word deadline. So only devs can give estimates. Uh, the, The next step which you're going to wonder, how do you ever ship, is we ask for a P50 estimate, meaning there's a 50% probability they'll hit that date. Uh, Where does that come from? It is a balance between putting some thought into what you're doing before you begin to build it and not over planning. My experience is that if you go for a date, you have 50% confidence level in, you're probably not going to over plan, but you're probably going to put some thought into what you're doing before you start. And of course, the uh, the Hubbard book, How to Measure Anything, I have my own copy, is a very good book on deep diving into how well confidence levels, which is what these are, having a confidence level about uh, when something will be done will help you. And, and he has a brilliant chapter on exactly why you are doing what you're doing. Yeah. So P50 estimates by the dev team. And then if they miss a date and someone called me out, like every time, like half the time they're going to miss a date, but our teams do retros pretty regularly, but uh, we ask if they're late on a date or even ridiculously early that in their retro, they cover that. Like what, what didn't we know that we know now? Uh, I look for output from those retros if the date is off by more than 20%, just so I can look for general advice I can give the org. So that's it. They give dates, they hit them or they don't. In fact, they miss them half the time. And we try and learn from that. So given the size of our org and the size of our projects, yes. Do they actually miss them half the time? Yep, almost exactly. So P50 are pretty good on. Right now, our P50 as far as delay is is one day for the year. So half of our projects okay. are done in one day, are missed their date by one day, uh, half or, or, or less, half missed by one day or more. Okay. Uh, good question, though. I don't know if I put that in the data I posted there. So we finished about 350 projects across our org in 2020. And a project worth defining is a chunk of work. It has to have a customer outcome or a customer impact. 
So it has to be, it can be anything from available to customers will attract the rollout a little bit differently, or it can be as small as an experiment where we may do something and then not go any farther because the experiment failed. So we track all those things. And one exception, internal projects, like something that's affecting some other team trying to get a customer deliverable, we track those because we want to be able to track dependencies and things like that. So 350 of those through the year. The range was anywhere from five days to five months on the estimate. Of course, my advice to teams is to try and make things shorter. Anecdotally and historically, I've seen six weeks as sort of a sweet spot as the, as the upper limit because it's big enough to do something significant and small enough to see the end from the beginning. Uh, definitely try and push things smaller if I can. Some projects end up being bigger because they can't have a customer outcome until more work's been done. That's expected. Originally, I had a goal of well, I had a goal that 75% of our projects would be six weeks or less. That P75 actually ended up being closer to eight and a half weeks. As far as the delivery numbers go, uh, this is where the interesting stuff came in. Projects from one to three weeks, huge sweet spot. 97% of the projects that were originally estimated for that length of time shipped on time. Another almost the entire amount of the rest of them were within a week. That was it. Like if that was the project size, you were going to be golden. We were closer on projects from three weeks to a month, where sixty-four percent were on time, and the mass, the the mass remainder of those were also only a week late. Okay, and just to be clear, on time means on time or earlier, right? No, actually, we tracked on time because when I get that P fifty right, I want to make sure people weren't padding. So if someone was a, was two weeks early on a project, I actually count that as a missed estimate. Okay, got it. So what's interesting is I have data for everything from a month and longer, but guess, I think you have the data in front of you, but uh, of our projects that were a month or longer, and remember up to a month, 65% on time, a month or longer, exactly zero projects shipped on time. What's some, so your other category was 21 to 30 days, and there are multiple months uh, that fit in 30 days. What? So what is, there are multiple months that have 30 days? Yes. Yes, there are. Thank you. Good. I'm glad we're But, but projects don't necessarily align on a month. So I'm not sure. No, what I know. Make. I'm trying to, so what I'm trying to distinguish in my head, you said over a month. So when you when you say over a month, what exactly do you mean? You mean thirty one days or longer? Okay, all right, got it. Uh, one thing, if we bring Hawthorne effect in here, it it when or I shared this with the team, and of course by doing that, uh, I have wrecked that one to three week estimate because people will try and fit their estimates in there because they know they'll be on time, and inevitably they won't be. They won't. If be. I tell you that if you're if you're one, if your estimate is within one to three weeks, it's very likely to be on time. Wouldn't you, as a dev lead in charge of that estimate, think, "Well, I said four weeks, but if I make it three weeks, it'll be on time." Yeah, there's a there's. <laughs> yeah, if they go that way, uh, yeah, you run the risk, right? Uh, it's right because then, um, yeah. If instead, though, they say, uh, hey, if it goes beyond four weeks, maybe I shouldn't entirely trust myself and rethink this, that might that would be a beneficial output here. But yeah, um, if they take the intellectual lazy approach, yeah, I expect yeah, to see. I, I don't think they will, but it was fun to call out. Yeah. That I may, I may skew future data by showing current data. Yeah, that this is one of the reasons why I like Fibonacci sequences in Plenty of Poker. Uh, the right, it, your data because it was run as a semi-objective experiment. It doesn't surprise me that it kind of aligns with the the reasoning behind that. That the bigger the project, the the more you actually don't really know the estimate because it's too much complexity for um, people to handle up, up front. 
And and also the bigger the project, the more likely there's there's going to be the the oh shit gotcha in the middle discovered in the middle that wasn't planned for. Well, the interesting statement I can make going forward because we have new projects start every week and things the way we track stuff is when we commit to something like we're going to do this or we, we say active planning has begun that there's a planning phase that the result of that is it is the project moves from planning into in progress and there's a date assigned to it or, or that p50 estimate is done the purpose of our planning is to be able to come up with the p50 estimate that's the output of our planning process okay Last year, we had roughly, a th- I'm glancing at numbers here, a third, a little less of our, maybe a third or so of our projects, where original estimate was six weeks or longer. Knowing what I know now, I know every single one of those P50 estimates is wrong. Actually, the, I can go farther than that because by definition, almost every single P50 estimate is wrong. But... I know when you have the longer the project is, I know this anecdotally, as many of us have forever, is your as your longer estimates are more likely to be wrong. I have yes. some significant data now that shows me that your longer estimates are wrong. So the work yes. then is not to just acknowledge that and pad that. I don't want them to pad it. I think, uh, remember, my goal of P50 estimate is I think it's the sweet spot between knowing enough to get going and not over planning. I think my takeaway is on these larger projects that they are being underplanned a little bit. And it's a fine line because it's certainly possible to overplan these things and still miss the date. But from the retro stuff I have, I do know that those dates are being missed because of an unrecognized dependency. Even simple things like not taking vacations or holidays into account uh, when you do the original estimate. Right. And, and of course, with a longer estimate, that's more of a risk. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, though, it's interesting that you concluded that, that there's insufficient planning. Because I don't think that, I honestly don't think that's the case. Because even if you spent the extra time on planning, shit changes. I can tell because, again, I get I get information from a retro on anything that's more than 20% over the original estimate. And it really comes down to didn't account for some risk. Whether that risk could have been known up front is questionable. But we did. But basically comes down to why was it late? We didn't account for some risk or some set of risks. Right. And the larger the project, the more likely of that being the case is true. Right, because the, you can't, you don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I'm having so many meetings this week where I don't remember what I said in December that I don't know how I would ever manage a six week project. Yeah. <laughs> could be age. Yeah. Could be age. I was going to say, wait till you get to be my age. Um, it just gets worse, Alan. Yeah, remember, I'm older <laughs> than you. Uh, only physically. Correct. Um, but what I'm curious about is I don't think, moving forward with this idea that these things are being under under planned is is the right way to go why was it not your your initial statement saying hey these guys need to work through how to these ones with the larger projects how do we keep the aspect that is something that still has customer impact but so does really start to scale back on the internal definition of an MVP. Yeah, it, it could be some of that too, to be clear. What I what I meant by underplanned is just, again, because I have that data from retros, it's uh, they're missing recognizing risk, some of which could be done during the planning phase of the project. But absolutely, a bigger thing to work on, or at least an equal thing to work on with the team, is how to take this eight, this 10-week project and break it down into multiple pieces that each can have a customer outcome or a customer impact. Right, right. The one thing I really like about what you've done here is you allow... Um, you allow different projects to take different time ranges, right? One of the things that's a problem with with Kanban a lot of times, right, is they want each ticket to have a customer outcome and take no more than two weeks. Well, sometimes, uh, I mean, I've in it hasn't it occurs rarely, but 
that can be a challenge. It, it can be a full uh, half day planning event, figuring out what to cut, what to scope out in order to make a two week timeline. Right. And, and then it walk, you walk away with, but all we're doing is we're splitting the work between two tickets. Cause we're going to do both of this work. Ticket number one is going to be this and ticket number two is going to be that. So why did we even spend all this planning time? Yeah, I, I don't want I don't want this one to be gamed like that. And I don't yep. know if you've read Shape Up, the book by Basecamp. It's nope. It is good, but I think too prescriptive. One of the things they mandate in that book, what's worked for them, which is great. And again, I don't think they're pushing it because con- everyone's context is different. Take it with a grain of salt. But their stance is every project is six weeks long. That, that's a, a horribly brief summary of the book. I think there is a lot to that because anecdotally, I've found there's a pretty good sweet spot at six weeks for making a, a significant impact and being able to hit those dates. But uh, my data shows that a little shorter is better. And what and again, like you said, what I found is when we're sometimes we have to do longer projects and it's the, the length is fine there. I do. I am going to push again this year to get the bulk of the projects, to get that P75 or P80 number of project length to be under six weeks or six weeks or under, maybe even less. But now with 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 your data, like uh, I'd be pushing for three weeks. I think I could do P50 at three weeks. I have to think about this. I have, I have to float it around for a while in my head, but... Uh, anyway, but the interesting thing is, is I've mentioned probably on this podcast uh, years ago when I was at Microsoft and doing, we didn't call it DevOps, basically when I ran DevOps for Teams, is that I never had as much control over quality as when I ran this infrastructure and tools team uh, as I did ever in a quality manager or test architect or quality position. What I've discovered in the last 18 months is Never have I had more control and more influence on quality for our customers than when I was in charge of infrastructure, tools, analysis, and delivery of our software products. Uh, it's fascinating. I think it's part. I think delivery is part of quality. I think uh, I didn't have to get a new skill set or change mindset in order to do this. I just had to care about quality, be, not be afraid to learn and try new stuff. And it's been a, a fascinating little journey. You had to apply your existing mindset to a new problem. Sure. Yes, it, that's which, exactly it. It's system which, thinking. Which, by the way, is you may have heard this. Um, this is where new ideas come from. <laughs> uh, another one of our favorite authors uh, where yeah. good ideas come from, from Stephen. What's Stephen's last name? L something. Stephen Dude. Yeah. Hold where on. good ideas come from. You look that up. A very good book. I've read his entire catalog. Johnson. Johnson. Stephen Johnson, who I got to meet once. Like I have his autograph on a book somewhere. Oh, sweet. That, sweet. Was, the, that was one of the advantages of working at Microsoft is he actually had uh sort of industry luminary to show up and give free talks. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a book at home uh, by Daniel Kaufman, who is a uh, Nobel laureate. And I have his, I have a autographed book by him. Right. Um, yeah. I, I miss that actually H or, or um, not HR. It was research, MSR. MSR, yeah, MSR. They had this recurring series, and it was, for me, it was fantastic because it actually didn't even matter who was coming and talk because new ideas come from old ideas coming together. And, and it was a one, one hour a month where I would be swimming in a pool of ideas I may or may not have ever heard of before. I, I'm surprised that Microsoft isn't doing like regular Teams events with those folks, especially during pandemic. Like we've had a lot of guest speakers, everything from inspirational speakers to uh, uh, magicians and musical groups and comedy comedians uh, give like 
Zoom calls. They're like once a month, we have a, a big Zoom meeting with all kinds of fun, fun entertainment. There might be teams doing that. Um, uh, it, it, they're not inviting me. Um, uh, and as, as you well know, that could be for entirely different reasons. I can, I can probably <laughs> put in a good word for you on our data science team. Oh, sure. Um, Stocks at yeah. 146. Oh, I forgot you guys went public. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope you're not looking at the Microsoft stock. Um, I, I am not. Okay, that that's probably good for your sanity. Is it, is it like uh, super high? Yeah, just last five years. I, uh, I wonder. I wonder what my. I don't even remember how many options I left on the table when I left. What What was the date that you left? What uh, year? Oh, it was almost exactly four years ago. Barack Obama and I both quit our jobs on the same day. So January seventeenth. Okay. January seventeenth. Yeah. Um, so far, the stock has only gone up uh, four times since that. All right, it's came. Yeah. I'd be I'd be dead <laughs> if I, I wouldn't have survived. Uh, I think you would have. I don't think I would have survived. You are absolutely. You're right. You know what? I'm going to practice my EQ. You're right. It turned into uh, this horrible mess that tell you're you what, way. You, you tell them if they give me all my stock back, I'll come back for six months, just long Retro enough for for it to vest, and then I'll quit again. Yeah, uh, you're not at fifty five, so you'd probably yes, want to wait. I am. Oh, are you now? I'm at the magic age. I, if I would have stayed till right. now, I could have quit and been rich. I thought you were only three years older than me. No, I just turned double nickel in December, just before okay. our last podcast. I'm sure we talked about this. No, we did. Uh, Drink. I'm, I'm about to turn 51, but for some reason I had in my head that you were three years older, not four. No, I was born in 65. Yeah. Well, all right then. Okay. okay. Let's, uh, let's call it a day. Good, good round of topics. Uh, thanks for listening <laughs> in. Uh, I'm yep. going to go off to my next meeting, but uh, good seeing you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to the three. Happy to have you on board. Uh, one of the three dot one of the three dot slack dot com. There's an invite up on moderntesting.org. I think that's it. All right. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, I'll everyone. see you. Bye, everyone.